This is your time for a good time. Now go live your life to the funnest. Leave boring behind and come to the place made for nonstop action and excitement. Saginaw Eagles Landing, where winning big at all your favorite games, tasty bites, and comfy nights all come together. The possibilities are endless, and so is the fun. It's all here, waiting just for you. So come on, Michigan, let your fun out. Saginaw Eagles Landing Casino and Hotel. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at lesliemarshallshow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Here to set you free. How you doing? Happy Tuesday. I'm Leslie Marshall and welcome or welcome back to the only true democracy in talk. And thank you for listening on the radio, on our stream, on our podcast or watching us on Twitter's Periscope, Facebook Live, YouTube Live. And do we have LinkedIn Live yet, Marky Mark, or not yet? Uh, Not yet. We're still waiting for their approval process. Oh, they're waiting for their approval process. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to become a citizen of life. (laughs) <laughs> we're just trying to anyway uh in the in this hour um we have a great guest uh, joining us uh very timely not only because his book has come out uh, but because there are a lot of posts regarding legislation and polls in america and that's all in reference to gun control who is it we'll stick around and you'll have to see but first of all let's kick it and check what is ripped from those headlines According to a new analysis by the Tax Policy Center, the Senate version of the American Rescue Plan, the ARP, would reduce federal taxes in 2021. Did you hear that? Reduce taxes, not increase taxes as those on the right would have you believe. They would reduce federal taxes in 2021 by an average of $3,000. They would also raise after-tax incomes by 3.8%. And remember, Republicans don't want you to have the $3,000 tax break and the increase in after-tax income by almost 4%. Families with children, well, they would get an average tax cut of more than 6,000 under the bill, and that now goes to the House for final approval. Now, simply in terms of whose taxes are cut, the bill is in stark contrast to the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. That almost to the penny, if you remember, uh, is what Republicans wanted to spend to help the rich get richer. And now they don't want to spend that much to help the middle class and lower income people be able to pay their rent, their mortgages, put food on the table um, and, and pay for so many other things. I don't know about you, with so many people being home, my plumber's been here three times this year, okay? You know what I mean? Like things just break down more because you have more use of your home and more people, you know, in the home. Uh, whether you rent, whether you own, things, you know, just, just have to be repaired and that costs money. Uh, anyway, in 2021, low and moderate income households this year, those making 91000 or less would receive nearly 70% of the tax benefits from the Senate measure. Now, among families with children, those low and middle income households would get nearly three quarters of the benefit. By contrast, nearly half of the TCJA's 2018 tax cuts 
went to households in the top 5% of the income distribution who made, by the way, $308,000 that year on average, on average. Also, the DPC modeled the major individual income tax provisions, including the economic impact payments, uh, aka stimulus payments, of up to $1,400 per person, as well as expansions of the child tax credit, the earned income tax credit, and the child independent care tax credit. Now, in this analysis, TPC did not model corporate tax changes, relatively modest tax subsidies for health insurance coverage for laid off workers, paid sick and family leave, or an expanded premium tax credit for health insurance purchased on the individual exchanges. TPC also did not model the income tax exemption for some unemployment benefits received last year in 2020. So the Senate's average tax cut in this year of 2021 It's nearly double the average $1,600 tax reduction from that TCJA, uh, Trump GOP tax bill in 2018. Now, the gap between the Senate bill and the average individual income tax cuts only of the TCJA is even bigger, about $1,800. So one key difference between the two measures is that the individual income tax cuts of Trump and the GOP were scheduled to run for eight years. That's through 2025. But by contrast, the tax cuts in this relief plan under the Democrats either are one time, such as the new round of economic impact payments, or scheduled to expire at the end of this year. The congressional joint, which means you're adding to the deficit less and, and, and you're not, you know, bleeding into other individuals, whether in the House, the Senate, or maybe even the White House, uh, their administrations. And also because we know this is a temporary situation. So it's a temporary measure because hopefully COVID and this pandemic are a temporary lifestyle for us. The Congressional Joint Committee on Taxation estimates the Senate bill would cut taxes by about $460 billion with a B this year in 2021, about $590 billion over the 10-year budget window. So by far now, the biggest tax cut in the Senate bill is the next installment of the direct EIPs. They cut household taxes by an average of about $2,300, representing more than two-thirds of the overall tax cut. And while the expansions of the refundable tax credits, such as the CTC, EITC, and CDCTC are all temporary, Democrats have made little secret of wanting to make them permanent. The other major difference between that us and them, that some people would say, are the Republicans in the Trump administration, the former versus the current Biden Democratic administration, uh, which was passed, by the way, by the Republican Congress and with the support of then President Trump, the former, uh, is the distribution of tax cuts. The ARP, the Biden Democrat plan, passed only with Democratic votes, distributes more than two thirds of the tax cuts to low and middle income households, while they received only about 17 percent of those tax benefits. I think we all know uh, 17% of 100 is not the majority. Now, under the former administration, the average first year tax cut for a low income household making 25,000 or less was $60 or 0.4% of their after-tax income. The average tax cut for the highest income, 0.1% of households that make 3.4 million or more was 193,000 or 2.7% of after-tax income. Now you don't need to have a math degree from Harvard. I suck at math, I certainly don't. But here's the deal, $60 when you're poor and 193,000 when you're rich is not helping middle and lower income 
It's helping the rich get richer. And those are the facts. Now, by contrast, in the Senate bill, a household making $25,000 or less would receive an average tax cut of $2,800 this year, boosting their after-tax income by 20%. But average taxes would not change at all for a household making $3.5 million. So in other words, the rich won't get richer. They won't get poorer. They're going to pay the same. But you're going to have a $2,800 average tax cut if you're middle or lower income, and your after-tax income will be boosted by 20%. Now, if you're in a low-income household with children, you'll get an average tax cut of nearly $7,700, raising that their after-tax income by more than 35%. Without kids, 20%. Uh, uh, income by 20%, more than 35% with kids' lower income. Now, the difference for middle-income households, it's striking as well. If you look at before last administration, the cut to their 2018 taxes by an average about $930, 1.6%. You might say, well, that's good. That's good money in the pocket. Yeah, but listen, the Senate version of this proposal under the Biden Democratic administration, it would cut their taxes this year by an average of $3,350 or 5.5%. So you're looking at more than a 4% increase for middle income families under this administration versus in this uh, package, this stimulus package for the same dollar, same price tag uh, versus the former administration of the 2018 uh, tax bill that really helped the rich and major corporations. Now, as they say, elections have consequences and few bills show that contrast as much as the Republican CTC TCJA and the Democrats, ARP. Let's rip another. The Biden administration has reportedly launched a major diplomatic effort to try to end the decades long war in Afghanistan by accelerating the peace process between the Afghan government and the Taliban militant group. The Afghan network Tolo News published a letter that says it was it, it was sent by Secretary of State Antony Blinken to Afghan President Ashraf Ghani, outlining America's plan aimed to bring four decades of war in Afghanistan to an end. Now, in the reported correspondence, Blinken implies a power-sharing agreement between the Taliban and the Afghan government that may be one way out of the conflict. It's an idea that's run into opposition in Kabul in the past. But can I point something out? I was listening to some experts on Afghanistan, and actually the man um, you know, who, who coined uh, the, 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 the phrase, the forever war, uh, and just wrote an article um, in the uh, in uh, the New Yorker about it. And basically, um, when the Trump administration sat down to negotiate, they sat down with the Taliban. They didn't invite the Afghan government. They didn't invite the president of Afghanistan. Can you imagine? So Blinken also says the United States intends to ask the UN to convene foreign ministers and special envoys from Russia, China, Pakistan, Iran, India, and the United States so that there will be a discussion of a unified approach to supporting peace in Afghanistan. Um, and uh, there's not been a verification independently of the, the authenticity of the letter. Um, but remember, uh, less than two months before the last American troops are due to leave the country under that former agreement, um, a lot of people are saying the timeline is too short. Nothing's going to be done by May 1st. We'll wait and see. I'm Leslie Marshall. That's what's written from the headlines. Quick break. When we come back, more from Ripped in the Headlines and our great guest coming up in just a moment. Don't go away. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Leslie Marshall, welcome or welcome back. Let's continue with what's ripped. 
from those headlines. Chinese authorities have breached each and every act prohibited under the UN Genocide Convention over the treatment of Uyghurs and other Muslim minorities in China's Xinjiang province. That's according to an independent report that was published today. Those are the allegations being made in this report. Why does this matter? Well, the DC think tank, the New Lines Institute for Strategy and Policy, which released the report, they said in a statement, the conclusions by dozens of experts in war crimes, human rights, and international law are clear and convincing. The ruling Chinese Communist Party bears responsibility. Now, this is the first time a non-governmental group has conducted independent legal analysis of the allegations of genocide in Xinjiang, including what responsibility of Beijing uh, and that Beijing may bear for the alleged crimes. Uh, CNN, by the way, first obtained a copy of the report. If you look at the big picture, up to 2 million Uyghurs are estimated to be detained in the province's mass internment camps. Yesterday, I posted a woman who is living in another country and who was asked to go back to China to sign some documents. And she's a Uyghur and she ended up in one of these camps and, and she wrote about her experiences and what these camps uh, are like. Uh, they are mass internment camps. Now, Chinese authorities deny any rights abuses have been committed and claim the camps are used to root out extremism. Uh, but the reporting that we're getting, uh, the leaks that we're getting, uh, and people like this woman who have survived this and have gotten out are telling a very different story than the Chinese government. Big surprise. There's also evidence to support the allegations, allegations of torture, forced sterilization and other abuses with which this new report concurs. Investigations show, and you would think with forced sterilization, pro-lifers would be up in arms. Hmm. Investigations show Chinese authorities have had a vast string of factories inside the camps constructed, and they are forcing detainees to work in cotton fields. Cotton fields. And that's per Axios, Bethany Allen, Ibrahimian. Now, what they found is that China's policies and practices targeting this minority community, the Uyghurs in the region, must be viewed in their totality. And that amounts to an intent to destroy the group as a whole uh, or in part, according to this report. They say it finds that Uyghur detainees within the detention sites are systematically tortured, subjected to sexual violence, including rape and cruel, inhumane and degrading treatment or punishment, deprived of their basic human needs and severely humiliated. They're deprived of basic human needs, severely humiliated, subjected to inhumane treatment or punishment. Hello? By the way, like what? Well, solitary confinement without food for prolonged periods is just one example. Suicides, by the way, have become so prevalent that detainees must wear suicide-safe uniforms and are denied access to materials susceptible to causing self-harm. And this is of note. Governments, including the United States, have denounced the treatment of the people inside the camps as genocide and crimes against humanity. The International Crime Court, the ICC, last December declined to investigate allegations of genocide against the Uyghurs, but it did leave the file open. So that means more evidence can be submitted on the claims and the ICC could still open an investigation. They have to. They have to. It's the right thing to do. It's the human thing to do. We, we you know, we had shamefully Manzanar in our own country against Japanese Americans and some Asian Americans who were not Japanese. We all watched what happened in World War II uh, with the Holocaust. I, I, I didn't and many of you didn't. We weren't alive. We weren't born yet. But I'm simply saying history has taught us what happens if we wait too long and remain silent for too long. We, the United States and the world, must not, cannot remain silent. 
on the genocide of the Uyghur Muslim minority in China in these camps. It's disgusting. Let's rip another. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said, quote, the state was not involved in helping to vaccinate 1,200 residents of the super-rich Ocean Reef community back in January, but both the hospital system that supplied the doses and the county of Monroe contradict his claims. In other words, they say he's lying. Uh, They say the state authorized the vaccines. The Tampa Bay Times and Miami Herald both reported this. So why does this matter? Well, the governor himself has faced increasing criticism for directing vaccines toward wealthy communities, uh, by the way, who have written checks to his campaign. Some of those who benefited from the vaccine pop-ups did donate to the governor's political action committee. They have pulled in almost $4 million. How many people that got vaccines in their arms wrote checks uh, to put into the pocket of Governor uh, DeSantis's PAC? Uh, for his gubernatorial election bid, um, you know, uh, that's something that you have to look at. Uh, Isn't that quid pro quo? Hmm. Anyway, the state of play here is a spokeswoman for Baptist Health Systems, which administered the Ocean Reef vaccines. They told the uh, the, uh, Times and the Herald that Florida asked Baptist Health to take delivery of the doses to our ultra-cold freezer storage for delivery to the medical center at Ocean Reef. I would say that is directed by the state. Brian Keeley, who is the Baptist Health Systems president and CEO, and his wife own a home in Ocean Reef, but the spokeswoman wouldn't comment on whether they had a hand in getting the vaccines. Back at the beginning of the year in January, Baptist Health canceled vaccine appointments for hundreds of members of the general public because it had run out of supply. So let's be clear here. Wealthy people jumped the line because of their political connection to the governor and the Republican Party and other people who should have been in line and should have had those vaccines in their arms did not get them. Did not get them. And that canceling, that a bit of cancel culture? Isn't that classism? Isn't that elitism? People say there's a caste system in India. There is one here, too. We just don't like to talk about it. So what's next? The AG Commissioner Nikki Freed, love this woman, and state Senate Democratic leader Gary Farmer asked the FBI to investigate. Freed said, if this isn't public corruption, I don't know what is. Let's rip it up. Former President Trump asked supporters in an email yesterday to donate directly to his PAC and not to other Republicans. This is hours after the Republican National Committee rejected his demand to stop using his name and likeness to fundraise. So why does this matter? Well, Trump remains popular among Republican voters, and his name is seen as a key part of fundraising ahead of the 2022 midterms. Me? I'm getting popcorn and watching this, folks, because you know the RNC is going to be hurting for cash if more money is diverted to Trump, and that money's going to be split like the Republican Party is split. They're either Reagan Republicans or Trump Republicans or Trump uh, Trump publicans, should we say, right? But Trump is seeking to control the use of his name and image as he aims to position himself as the undisputed leader of the GOP. Of note, RNC chair, Ronna McDaniel, she stated earlier yesterday that Trump had personally approved the use of his name for fundraising. That's not what he's saying. He said, no more money for rhinos, Republican in name only, in case you don't know what that means. Trump said in a statement, they do nothing but hurt the Republican party and our great voting base. They will never lead us to greatness. The greatness that he led them to, they lost the House, the Senate, and the White House. He asked supporters to donate to his Save America PAC via his personal website, adding, quote, we will bring it all back stronger than ever before, splitting that party, which will help Democrats. Let's rip another. 
And last year, from the headlines, plans for the first major U.S. offshore wind project, whether well, closer to reality now that the Interior Department has completed an environmental review of vineyard wind proposed for construction off my home state of Massachusetts. Offshore wind has been very slow to develop despite large power generating potential, but a wave of projects are now planned off the coast of Atlantic states, including New York and New Jersey, and obviously Massachusetts. I'm Leslie Marshall. That's what's ripped from the headlines coming up. Our great guest and you don't go away. More to come. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. I'm Leslie Marshall. Happy Tuesday. You know, I am very excited to have this guest on today. I I feel like I know him personally and have because he and I, uh, you know, will uh, retweet and like each other's tweets. And and also because I have something in common with him, although very different. I'm not sure if he knows. Our guest is Fred Gutenberg. And Fred began his public life after the murder of his beautiful 14-year-old daughter, Jamie, in the Parkland School shooting on Valentine's Day in 2018. And only four months prior to the murder of his daughter, his brother Michael passed away in October 27th from cancer related to his service on 9-11. Fred has traveled the country talking about uh, both events, also talking about perspective, perseverance, and resilience. Fred's mission ultimately led him to write his new book, Find the Helpers. You can purchase Fred's book and find out more information about what events he's participating in at fredgutenberg.com. That's F-R-E-D-G-U-T-T-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. And on Twitter, his handle is at Fred underscore Gutenberg. Uh, Fred, thank you for joining us. I, I wanted to um, tell you that um, it very different than your situation, but I do want you to know Um I lost a child in 2004, a a baby from a terminal illness. And the reason that I say that is I don't know the pain of the murder of a child that you have lived with for 14 years, but I know how much pain I had in my situation, which was natural causes. So I would magnify that times a million, I'm sure. And I know the pain of not being able to get out of bed and not wanting to get out of bed. I know that pain of maybe not wanting to go on. And I just wanted to let you know that's what connects me to people like you. Nobody should ever outlive their child or have to bury their child. Somebody once told me it's membership in a club you didn't want membership in. Um, And I just wanted you to know that um, I not just as a woman and a mother, um, you know, empathize with what happened to your daughter and to your family. Um, I have been through a tiny piece of it, but nowhere near and certainly not uh, for the reasons that you have. And I just wanted you to know that at the onset and something I couldn't just tweet, you know, to you uh, online. And and I really thank you for being with us today. I'm a big fan of what you're doing, which is turning a nightmare and pain that never really goes away into such a positive force for the memory of your daughter 
and those other lives that were killed and taken in 2018 on February 14th and all children that have been the victim of gun violence. So I just want to say that first and foremost, uh, whether, you know, you're talking, uh, whether you're lobbying, uh, you know, for or against, you know, politicians and legislation with regard to gun control or writing a book, find the helpers that will help others. Uh, I commend you. Uh, it's because it's hard to get out of bed every day after a situation like that. I commend you for all you're doing. And I'm sure that Jamie is smiling down on you uh, for all that you continue to do. Well, first, I am so sorry for your loss. I, I did not know that. And you and I now have a forever connection that um, will be very meaningful to me. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, we all have our story. Um, and um, you know, mine has become very public. Um, and so I thank you for sharing yours with me because, because I didn't know, and it is, it's, it's the worst kind of awful, brutal pain for me, add on top of that guilt. Um, because as a parent, we spend our time doing everything we can to protect our kids. That's what we do. And I thought I was. I thought I was doing everything I could to protect my kids. And I found that I wasn't. My voice was not a part of doing something about gun violence when it was happening to other people's children. And I'll never forgive myself for that because I know what my voice has meant to this. And maybe if my voice was in it before 2018, positive things could have happened sooner. Um, but you understand more than most, what drives me. Um, that feeling of loss of what else could I have done? It's just something you never get rid of. I want to talk about uh, your book, Find the Helpers, because uh, you're really going to help a lot of people with this book. But uh, first of all, did you write it to help yourself a little bit too? Was it cathartic to share? Writing became my therapy. Yeah. You know, the day planning Jamie's funeral, the funeral director handed me a journal and he said, have you ever journaled before? And I said, no. He goes, take this as a gift from me and I hope you start. And I didn't write away. You know, at first my writing was more things on Facebook and then I got active on Twitter. I wasn't even on Twitter at the time, but I started using the journal. Um, it was probably a few weeks after Jamie died and it became my therapy. Every morning, I would just I would get up and I would write, and I would write about the previous day, and I would write about how I was feeling. And around April of 2018, I told my wife I wanted to write a book. Um, that I wanted originally, my intention was to write a book telling our story of being a part of these two American tragedies, and how America has responded differently to both. Now, you know, one way to 9/11 and foreign terrorism. And one way to what I would call domestic terrorism, and that's gun violence. What happened is someone who I trust very deeply, uh, I shared what I had written with this person who said, you're not done writing. He goes, we all know your story, but the part of, of what you've written that really grabs me is all of these stories about other people. Go further with that. Talk more about them. And I went back and I spent this next six months rewriting the book. And very quickly, as I started to do that, I had this epiphany where it became so clear to me that nothing in my life 
has happened because of just me. It's always involved other people. And getting through these most horrific moments of my life certainly did. Somebody who uh, many of us love and I grew up watching uh, is someone that you loved watching, which was Mitch, Mr. Rogers, that you yeah. would, you know watch with your daughter and your son when they were, were smaller. Um, and you said that as a family, your favorite wisdom was uh, in the midst of tragedy and catastrophe, find the helpers. Obviously, uh, Mr. Rogers, uh, you know, weighed in on the title of your book. Um, and, 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 it, and it's so true because you can't get through something like this. You know, when they say it takes a village to raise a child, yes, but it also takes a community. It takes those helpers to pull you along so you can keep getting up in the morning and you can keep going forward. Yeah. And I think every single, almost every single person, if they can't relate to it, you know, personally, certainly not from um, your own experience, but, you know, death affects all of us. Tragedy affects all of us, and that's something we as human beings do have in common. Um, and and in a time where so many things are so toxic, it, it is it's wonderful to read some of these stories, you know, of of people helping one another. It, yeah. It's uplifting and it's hopeful. Well, and I'm glad you ended with that word because the second part of what he said was, as long as there are helpers, there is hope, and. No matter how bad things got, as long as I remembered that and remembered that I had these amazing other people in my life, I always had hope to go forward. You know, my rabbi said at Jamie's funeral, we don't move on, we move forward. And it's with my helpers that I was able to do that. I, I, I travel this country now telling people, Always know who your people are, who your helpers are, and don't be afraid to let them into your life in a helpful way. You don't have to go through anything alone, but also always know who you can be a helper to because there's always others who will need you. And especially as a country right now going through what we're going through, never has that been more true. And, and I hope the message of my book, people really embrace it and are there for one another. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. And, and once again, I want to encourage you to get the book. Um, this book is not political. It is not about uh, gun safety. It's not retelling of, uh, you know, Parkland. Um, it, it's, uh, it's a story of hope and it's a story of help and it's a story of healing and how helpers can help you to heal. We'll be back with Fred Gutenberg. Uh, Fred, by the way, as I mentioned, uh, has written this new book, Find the Helpers. Uh, please purchase his book. Um, it, it, it can help you. So many of us, especially with COVID, you know, have lost loved ones. Um, a lot of us are grieving for different reasons. It's a time we can come together and be helped. Find the Helpers can help you and let you know you're not alone. And that's so important to us as human beings. You can purchase the book and find out more information about what events he's participating in by going to fredgutenberg.com, F-R-E-D-G-U-T-T-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. On Twitter, follow him there at Fred underscore Gutenberg. We're going to take a break. We're going to be right back and talk more with him about his book, um, about legislation uh, to combat gun violence. And I hope he doesn't mind. I want to ask him about somebody who has the initials MJT back after this. <laughs> and we're back. I'm Leslie Marshall, back with our guest, Fred Gutenberg. 
Many of you know uh, Fred from being very outspoken with regard to uh, gun violence after losing his lovely daughter, Jamie, in the Parkland School shooting on February 14th of 2018. And four months prior, he lost his brother to cancer um, as a result or cancer related to his service uh, on 9-11. He has a new book out called Find the Helpers, and you can purchase his book at fredgutenberg.com. F-R-E-D-G-U-T-T-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. On, on Twitter, please follow him at Fred underscore Gutenberg. Fred, thank you for holding and, and welcome back. Um, I, I want to talk, um, we, you know, we, 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 we talk about hope and your book talks about hope and, and it talks about helping. But I want to, if you don't mind, talk about yeah. people that are sometimes a hindrance to that. Yeah. And, and, and I want to, because I have to say seriously, I, I felt such a connection with you over the Marjorie Taylor Greene stuff. I think, you know, I said to her, like, will she listen? You know, um, first of all, do you really plan to have a meeting with her? Do you think she'd take a meeting with you? And can you share with people? I, I can't even imagine. And, and, and honestly, I, I'm going to just say it. You know, the fact you haven't punched her in the face, I'm very impressed by because I, I'd have to go Sopranos on anyone that would say the things that she has said about Parkland, about that shooting about the, the murder of your daughter, uh, the horrific things that she has done, uh, and, and and also stalking children who have survived right. that. I mean, the list goes on. But can you speak to us as a father who has buried a daughter ba- because of this murder, because of this massacre, because of this gun violence at Parkland, h- how do you feel and how do you respond to someone who's an elected congressional member yeah. saying this is a false flag? Well, listen, she's questioned Parkland. She has conspiracy theories around 9-11, around Las Vegas, around Sandy Hook. She is as despicable a subhuman as can possibly exist. And what I would say is, you know, she's done more than lie and have conspiracies. She's done more than harass children. She's also threatened gun violence against elected officials. I mean, she has been very clear that, for example, she thinks Nancy Pelosi should have a bullet to the head. And so she is a danger and she should be treated as such. I do plan to confront her. Um, You know, when you are in Washington, D.C., you do run into legislators in the hallways, walking out of hearings, and I plan to meet with her. She, She may not want to. But, 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 you know, and in a very civil way, I want her to see my face. I want her to know my loss. I want her to know the pain that her lie caused me and too many other families and my family. And I want it live streamed because I want her to say on the record that she lied. I want her to say on the record, she accepts the reality of Parkland. Now she has told some of the families off the record that, yeah, I, I know Parkland happened, but she won't go on the record and say it, and I want her to. And so I want to live stream it. Um, you know, I, as, as, as angry as I am at her, the one thing I never will do is become the story because I have done something that encourages violence, and, and I won't do that here. Uh, uh, kudos to you for, uh, for that. Kudos to you for that. You know, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, very often, and it's not just politicians, people say a lot of things online 
And right. politicians say a lot of things to get money and get elected. And I would imagine to your face, it, if there wasn't a camera rolling, there's going to be one Marjorie Taylor Greene. And if there is, there's going to be another. It, it, another thing that bothered me is her, she has a daughter who is around the age that Jamie would be. Well, she has teenage children. I don't know their exact age. And what really disturbs me about that fact, listen, the work I do is for people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, okay? As much as it is for those who don't own guns, because all of our children go to schools, all of our children go to movie theaters, to mall, to malls, some of them go to places of worship, and all of our children are at risk of gun violence. You know, the, the, the nonsense that because Marjorie Taylor Greene walks around with her gun in her bag, that she can protect her kid when her kid is off somewhere else is just nonsense. And so I do this to protect her kids as well. Um, and listening to her tell her lies and to tell the Second Amendment lie as if wanting to do something about gun violence not take away the rights of legal, lawful gun owners, but to protect all of us from gun violence is an affront to the Second Amendment, is the ultimate lie. And so I just hope that nothing ever happens to people like her that would be tragic, that may get them to rethink their position, because then they would feel the way I do, and I don't want that. After Sandy Hook, many of us, perhaps you as well, Fred, uh, thought, you know, just as a citizen and a voter, um, this is it, right? We are going to have comprehensive gun reform. This is it. Didn't happen. After no. Parkland, a lot of people thought this is now going to definitely be it. More children have died. Yeah. Something has to be done. And the polls show overwhelming majority of Americans support universal background checks, support not having individuals yeah. um, who, who have a mental illness, perhaps having a gun, the guns getting into the hands of the wrong people. And still nothing was done. Of course, we just had the Trump administration. Uh, they had control of one chamber. But now Democrats control the House, the Senate and the White right. House. Are you, as a parent and a voter and a human being, more confident uh, because you have multiple gun safety groups urging Congress now to vote in favor of uh, that revived bipartisan bill yep. that would expand background checks for firearm sales if it was signed into law, H.R. Uh, 8? Are you yeah, more confident yeah. that we're going to see that go through? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and a couple of things. Since Parkland, much has happened, actually. You have states across this country that have been acting on their own to pass gun safety in the failure of it happening from Washington, D.C. And the data supports what they've done because those states are seeing decreases in gun violence. Uh, let me say this. What is different is since Parkland, we have really weakened the gun industry that was able to bring a, a, an alternative and vicious response. And that's not there anymore. What, what you're going to see happen now is you're going to see voters get what they want because what was different now versus in the past is in 2018 and 2020, voters have voted overwhelmingly for candidates who support gun safety. And they have, when you look at exit polls and everything else, it is clear the majority of voters want something done on this. 
and it is it, it would be an, a horrific failure for that to not happen now, you're going to see background checks. You're going to see those two bills get through the House tomorrow. They're going to make it to the Senate. We're going to get them through the Senate. It's going to be more of a fight there, and we're going to have to hopefully convince some Republicans that this is not a Second Amendment issue. This is a public health issue. It's a public safety issue. And then we're going to get it to the president to sign. This is the year to do this. And American voters are voting. They want this. And that includes gun owners. The majority of gun owners support this. Have you ever seen a proposal that has over 90% of support? Okay, this does. So this is the time. And if, if anybody fails to react to this, what voters want, then they will pay the ultimate price. But I don't think we're going to fail. We have uh, less than two minutes. I wanted to ask you very briefly, there are so many people that talk about arming teachers. So many people talk about putting uh, armed uh, security guards or officers in the schools. As somebody who knows this better than anyone, so sadly, um, you know, from your life experience uh, with Jamie and her life and, and the loss of her life, what is your take on those measures? Listen, my daughter would be alive today had the armed police officer at that school done his job. The problem I had was different. He didn't. He hid out. So I'm, I can support armed law enforcement protecting our students. I am completely against armed teachers and armed administrators. Teachers teach, administrators administra- administrate, and security secures. I, there are so many potential issues with arming teachers Um, that you will see more children die in schools, not less. But if you have trained armed police or security, I'm okay with that. And I I do know that gets into a whole other set of issues that need to be addressed with, you know, issues of how it's applied across different communities. And I think we need to be honest about that and address that. But we have to, we have to tackle this from the standpoint of what's going to keep our children safe. And how do we equitably apply that? Absolutely. Thank you for being with us. Like I said, a big hug to you virtually. I um, got you. <laughs> I, uh, find the helpers. You need to find them in your life. And this book will help you know you're not alone and, and give you some hope because we're everything's so toxic right now. Politics and uh, disagreements over masks and, you know, uh, going crazy at home. Um, listen, find the helpers, purchase Fred's book, go to fredgutenberg.com, F-R-E-D-G-U-T-T-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. Cousin Sal here letting you know that nobody does sports like FanDuel Sportsbook. All new users get a $1,000 risk-free bet when you sign up and make your first deposit. Just place your first bet and get up to $1,000 back if you don't win. Sign up today, FanDuel.com slash Sal. 21 plus and present in Michigan. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problems? Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help. Cousin Sal here letting you know that nobody does sports like FanDuel Sportsbook. All new users get a $1,000 risk-free bet when you sign up and make your first deposit. Just place your first bet and get up to $1,000 back if you don't win. Sign up today, FanDuel.com slash Sal. 21 plus and present in Michigan. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as is non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problems? Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidence. Financial help.